You might think WhatsApp is a pretty simple app, but keeping 1.2 billion users happy isn't easy. Today, we'll talk with their product designer about how they decide on new features and how their design process is different from the Facebook mothership. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products and lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside a Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everyone. We actually have a pretty special guest today. It's Charlie Dietz. He is a product designer at WhatsApp and Facebook, uh, previously Facebook, and then jumped onto the WhatsApp team. Uh, he's going to tell us all about what's happening over there. So, hey, Charlie, how are you today? Good. How are you? Fantastic. So um, just to tell people a little bit about your background, about yourself, and what are you working on at WhatsApp that's exciting you? Sure thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I joined Facebook um, maybe three and a half years ago. And when I first joined Facebook, I worked on the privacy team at first. I was working on um, I was working on products such as like privacy checkup and uh, the default privacy of the website. Um, after about a year, so important I moved, stuff. <laughs> it was pretty intense actually joining Facebook and immediately getting involved in some really, really heavy stuff. I, uh, I, I, I was especially grateful for that experience. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Cause like three years ago, privacy on Facebook was, a. I mean, it still is, but three years ago was a really hot topic. People were trying to figure out how to make sure that stuff that they, they published got seen by the right people and not by the wrong people. Right. Right. I felt like jumping in on privacy, I could help bring like design into that space and hopefully make, um, an impact. And I immediately got put on a project called privacy checkup, which, um, was really about that. It was about like taking Facebook's complex privacy settings, um, that were actually really robust and good, just very, you know, difficult to understand, you know, (laughs) required a lot of effort in order to understand them all. So what we did was we, we basically created like something that was more like a wizard and that thing was, it walked you through these like extremely important privacy settings and got people into a good state that they felt like more comfortable with the overall experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was like a great project to really get involved in right away because it had like obvious impact. People were like saying like, Hey, like this was good. Like we, this helped me get into a better state on Facebook and thank you. You know, like that was really cool to see happen. Yeah. I I don't know if you know Mike Montero, but he had um, a story that was in one of his conference talks about a girl who um, was using Facebook and she had joined some LGBT group um, that she was getting involved with wherever she lived. I forget where she lived, but she had not come out to her parents yet. And so through some convoluted Facebook privacy setting that she didn't know how to how to control, the um, the app basically published the fact that she had joined this LGBT group to her parents. And so her parents then called her, why are you joining that group? And it created a really difficult conversation for her. And so you know, his point was that kind of by nature of it not being designed, the Facebook privacy settings put that person in a very uncomfortable situation without her um, you know, with, with, against her will or so to speak. So it sounds like you were one of the people that helped fix that and make that easier for people to understand and control their own content. Yeah. Mike actually came to talk to Facebook design 
um, shortly thereafter, like the Facebook design team invited him in. He came and talked to all of us and gave us his perspectives and we gave him some of ours and stuff like that. And, but it was, um, yeah, I mean, the one thing that is really difficult to explain like externally sometimes is like the people that work on Facebook and the people that work on Facebook privacy are so concerned and really want to make everyone have a good experience. And that's sometimes hard to like relate to the outside world. Right. Um, bad things occasionally happen and not everything is always accounted for perfectly, but like the intention of like making all that stuff a success is like what drives those teams. And like, (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's really uh, impactful stuff that uh, it's nice to hear that people are putting some serious thought behind how to make that a good experience for, uh, for the average Facebook user. Yeah. Interesting. I I don't work on Facebook privacy anymore, but it is interesting that that product, the privacy checkup, as well as some of the other privacy products that have come thereafter, um, including changing the default privacy of Facebook to friends uh, instead of public. Like I think those changes over the course of time really have in a lot of ways, um, like at least the media sort of response, like it is a little like less aggressive towards Facebook now. It's really nice to see that because I think Facebook's intention is to have a lifelong relationship with the people who use the product. And I think that that relationship is a a two way street and people need to communicate both ways in order to like make everything work on both sides. And yeah, I'm happy to see that it's like going the right direction in general. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Me too. And a lot of that relationship is predicated on trust, you know, and, and, and Facebook, I think had to re earn a lot of the public trust, and it sounds like um, sounds like they have. So, yeah. but uh, you're not working at Facebook anymore. You're at WhatsApp. So, what's going on over there? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was on the privacy team, and I had actually because I was very interested in privacy, and because of that Mike Montero talk, um, I actually became really interested in groups, and I moved to the groups team at Facebook for a few years, and I felt like in a lot of ways, groups is about privacy as well, because it's these containers um, Mm -hmm. of people discussing similar things. Um, Worked on the groups team for a couple of years. And then uh, I found out like WhatsApp was looking for a designer. And I really wanted to try my hand in the messaging space because it's similar to groups in a lot of ways. Groups are very popular on WhatsApp. And I just really love like the way WhatsApp builds its product and the like methodology of like the the principles and under which the app is built like it really speaks to me so i just really wanted to like go over there and luckily they said yes and uh now i'm working on whatsapp <laughs> yeah nice nice so uh whatsapp's not as popular here in the u.s as it is elsewhere in the world like i've got a lot of european friends and whatsapp is their primary method of communication and that's something where i've been drawn into the whatsapp ecosystem just by communicating with them and i didn't know a lot of things like i didn't know that there was this awesome browser interface and there's a great osx app for your desktop and there's all these things that are outside of the phone experience and so I, it really kind of opened my eyes to it being a much bigger product than a lot of people think. Yeah, I think coming to WhatsApp, it's sometimes, um, especially us in the U.S., where we have like a lot of messaging options. Um, I think it's kind of surprising to people that the amount of features that are in WhatsApp, because on the base layer, we try to keep it as simple as possible so right. that it's a highly approachable app. It should feel like native to the interface. It should feel like something you may have used before. Yep. It should feel like really 
easy to get into, but we pack like tons of features below the surface. And um, in that way, it's really awesome for power users as well, because you can star some messages that you want to save for later. You can forward things. You, it has like a lot of features in there that just aren't maybe, um, I, I like the way they're implemented because they're, they're very functional. Everything is utility driven in the app. Yeah, so you, you mentioned being attracted by kind of their methodology of building the app. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how that might actually you know, lend to the app being uh, very simple and approachable, but yet having all of those powerful features? Um, yeah, I think it's like a user-centric design, essentially, at the very core. It's people, I mean, the principles under which the app is built on is the end user, their experience. They they should have nothing blocking them. They should be able to communicate freely. They should be able to do it as fast as possible. They should not be distracted. They should be able to like find what they're trying to do and do it in a very like obvious way. So I think like those are the principles that guide um, features that are built into WhatsApp and yeah, I think that's really cool that it works so well uh, at like a large scale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, when you when you talk about user-centered design, um, how are you finding the users that you're centering the design around and, and when, which users do you choose? Yeah, it's really tricky because the audience is extremely international. Like every language is essentially using WhatsApp. So um every culture is using WhatsApp. So people use it different ways, different places around the world. So it's kind of hard to ever build like personas or anything like that because there would be so many and there's so much complexity. So I think one of the ways to handle that, um, that I see a lot is that you, you really grind something down to the most minimal element. Like what is the point of this feature? Why why does this feature need to exist? Like not, not all the ways the feature will be used in the long run or what it could grow into, but like what is the core element to this feature that makes it useful? Um, so like forwarding a message obviously is like, well, that's basically saving you like copying and pasting and explaining what you're doing or something like that. It's just right. like, it makes it a little faster. Um, so that's like a probably a good feature on a core level, but then you have to like deal with all of the edge cases that that creates. And that's like an ongoing process always because things change. Um, a feature could be abused in some sort of way. Um, so basically you, you build something that like has a real value to it at the core level and then start to figure out where that breaks down and like solve for all that stuff. So a lot of the energy is basically the second half of that process. <laughs> yeah, sure. And you know, the, the multilingual component of it has got to be huge too. So what might be um, really easy for somebody in Europe to understand doesn't come as natural to somebody in Asia, for example. Right. Different languages perform or like act different ways. Like, um, certain languages don't have spaces between the words. Some do like right. you have to, <laughs> there's a lot of trickery as far as like, um, just formatting the text properly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But it is pretty tricky. So, um, a, a little bit about that, you know, 
collecting information from users or doing uh, usability tests or um, really understanding what it is you're going to put into the next release? How do you make those decisions? It's way different at WhatsApp than Facebook. I, maybe like explaining the Facebook way, I think, helps give perspective on the WhatsApp way. Yeah, sure. Um, like uh, on the groups team at Facebook, we were heavily research driven. Like research was out ahead of our work, trying to determine what people were going through, what problems they were having, what features they were requesting, like really trying to like get as much information as possible. And we did that through like surveys. We did it through, uh, you know, user testing. We did it through just like sessions where we'd bring people in and just like hear what admins have to say, et cetera, stuff like that. Um, but research would really give us a lot of information where we could start from. WhatsApp, from the very core level, isn't data-centric. We want to make good decisions based on our intuitions and what people are saying to us about the product. So, like, one of the things we do is, like, we read all of, like, the App Store and Play Store reviews. Like, we're listening to the feedback, but we also have, like a huge team that is like interfacing with people. If you have a problem with WhatsApp, you can contact us and we're going to listen to you and understand it and like report it to us so we can fix it. So it's, it's actually way more hands-on and just like, um, organic in a way, like it's surprising it works at scale the way it does, but the way we're getting feedback is just from like people leaving reviews, people talking about the product. We like watch the way people talk about it on Twitter and stuff like that. Like we're listening and I think that's like where we get a lot of our motivations from just by trying to be really attentive to the people who are using the product. Yeah. So that kind of ambient awareness of what's going on, that usage is, is really powerful, right? Um, yeah, I think it's like, it's tricky cause there could be blind spots in there, but, sure, yeah. um, at the, like, for example, like I don't speak every language in the world. We have people at Facebook or at WhatsApp that do speak pretty much like every language. So we have like people who are listening, yeah, and people aren't going to leave reviews or talk about features that they don't know exist. So you're going to get a lot more feedback or you know, a disproportionate amount of feedback about the things that are very common versus the things that may not be as common. Totally. I think that's one of the harder things. Like um, just in a recent version of the iOS app, we released a feature which is like called Quick Reply. Quick Reply. And basically, if you swipe right, on a message, it'll just pull up a reply in the composer for you really quickly. Like this feature has existed for a while where you could press and hold on the message and then press reply, but this makes it a lot easier to do. Mm -hmm. But we put it in the release notes, but yeah, it's like kind of hard to communicate that on a broader level. We don't want to like shove it in people's faces, but we would like people to know that it exists because it's like a useful feature. Um, sure. There's a lot of tricks to that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So once you've listened to the public and you've kind of gotten an idea of what you should do next, um, what do you do in terms of prototyping things and communicating that to design, engineering, and development to make sure that what gets built actually satisfies the needs of, of what you're hearing in the public? I think the first thing we do is just do a lot of explorations. Think about the various ways that the product could exist, um, the various solutions that could solve for whatever the problem is. Um, we just the, the thing that stays the same is the user problem. Like that's like the guiding voice, but the solutions could be anything. It could be everything from do nothing to do like a totally new feature um, to every variant in between. 
once we get stuff that we start to feel good about directionally, like we think that it actually solves the problem, um, we build prototypes of design prototypes, sometimes in um, Origami, which is a Facebook prototyping tool, mm -hmm. or Framer, which is like a JavaScript-oriented prototyping tool. When we build those prototypes, we can use them. We can like pass them around. People can feel out the feature, see what it, um, if it feels like it solves for the thing. And if we feel strong about it, then we'll build like a, a prototype in the actual app, like one that actually works, and use it around the office um, where everyone's like a heavy uh, WhatsApp user in like that works on WhatsApp because like everyone ends up like communicating with their. Uh, families and friends over it as well. So right. you get to kind of use this feature over the course of time. And we have like a culture of feedback where people are unafraid to give their like feedback on if it's working for them, if it's not. We recently rolled out um, albums for iOS, which like basically if you send a number of photos in a row, they'll be, they'll accumulate into a single album. So you can kind of like, you don't like, you don't, you don't, you end up feeling like you didn't spam the conversation with a ton of photos. It's like, Oh, this is like, I, these are all related photos and you can see them here. Right. And, and the app kind of does that for you automatically, right? Yeah. It's not, it's not a, it's not like a user driven intentional thing. That was like, of course, a way that it could be done, but the way we implemented it is, was it was just, it happens automatically for you and it should make the conversation better. So like getting to that point that it felt really good required a lot of like internal feedback and, and then also listening to the external feedback once we've rolled it out, like what people are saying about it, if they feel like it works for them. Um, we listen to all that and just keep iterating. Yeah. So are you rolling out to some limited audience? Like you said, you could roll it out to people internally into the team. And then from there, do you have uh, like some small subset of users that you select to receive the feature or do you just release it to everybody at once? Yeah. The Facebook way is to sort of like incrementally roll things out, but WhatsApp doesn't really do that. We have like a beta channel for Android um, and a beta channel for iOS and we test things in the beta channel, and when they're good enough for the full audience, we usually just roll it out. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody gets it at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, cool. So um, you mentioned prototyping stuff in, in Framer and in uh, Origami. Um, what's that typical life cycle like? Are you um, prototyping for you know using sprints? Are you going through a couple of releases internally? Um, how long does it take to get a typical feature from idea phase and actually rolled out to the, the general public. Yeah, this is something that's a little different again from Facebook to WhatsApp. What's Facebook feels um, like the culture at Facebook is very like, like anxious in a way, like they're, they're trying to get to the next thing as fast as possible and trying to, I mean, the move fast sort of thing. It's real. Like, <laughs> um, it's, it's very aggressive in trying to get these things. We want to test them as soon as possible because we want to see if it's valid. Um, the WhatsApp methodology is a little more, um, like not deliberate, but, um, I'm trying to think of the word, maybe conservative. I guess conservative, it's more just like we want, we don't, we don't really, I think, enjoy testing features. I think we just want to get the thing like, so that we're done with it when we kind of ship it as much as possible. Um, whereas, you know, Facebook really believes in the iterative 
uh, release cycle where it's like, hey, this thing's working. Let's make it better. And like you can invest more in it as it becomes bigger and bigger. And that mm -hmm. works really well. Um, I think the WhatsApp methodology feels just a little different in the way that we kind of scope what the feature is a little bit more from the get-go and then try to get to that point. And when we feel it's at that point, that's the time to release it. But sometimes that point takes a really, really long time. Sometimes it could be kind of quick. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm not sure I fully even understand that yet myself, but there is some difference in the way the two uh, handle those things. <laughs> yeah, that sounds kind of familiar to, um, I was talking with Rian at, at Wildbit um, about how they choose features and which to release and, and when to release things. And obviously some things can happen within, you know, one, two week sprint and some things take longer, but you know, they also kind of operate on the, we release it when we feel it's fully baked kind of mentality, mm -hmm. which is opposite a lot of the uh, fail fast kind of startup methodology. So it's interesting to hear that something as widespread as WhatsApp is also using that kind of similar methodology. I think in so many ways, WhatsApp operates as a startup still, even though it's established. Sure, <laughs> um, yeah. It it really likes working in that way, and I think it works well for the team still. So I think that's probably where a lot of that instinct comes from. Yeah, and I like that you use the word instinct. So it sounds like there's some type of instinctual consensus mechanism within the team that says, okay, yeah, this is ready to go out, um, and then it makes its way into the wild. Yeah, so um, this, on the back side of that, once you release something, if you really are just kind of listening to reviews and doing the ambient awareness of, of what people are asking for, how can you measure that the thing you released is actually accomplishing what you wanted it to? Um, I think one of the things that is just a methodology difference is if we believe the thing has value, it's not maybe so important whether people are using it right away or not. If it's not interfering in the user interface, but it could become very useful once people discover it over time, they show someone else, that person is like, oh yeah, I should use that too. And then voila, the thing actually ends up being really useful. If we believe there's like real value to it, I think like to some degree, it's a little less important if everyone's using it right away. Cause I think that could discourage sometimes investing more in it. I think it could discourage like, or it, it just causes a little bit of tension. I think, I think we don't put anything in the product that we don't think has significant value in the first place. It's built more into the design process rather than the testing process in a way. Sure. Um, so I think that's kind of the way we think about it. Yeah. So that's interesting that, you know, the metric isn't necessarily usage numbers, but it's, you know, it sounds like it's more qualitative than quantitative. So if somebody gets some value from using that feature, then you consider it a success. I think, yeah, definitely. If, if, if we know it's valuable because we've used it in a valuable way, I think we're pretty confident that there's value to be had in it. Yeah, interesting. So, from a philosophical standpoint, it's kind of the kind of the scratch your own itch thing. But you're also listening to everyone else's itches and then deciding what is the best way to scratch it, and then that's what you, <laughs> and then that's what you release. That's a good way to describe it. <laughs> 
Yeah. So um, what, what can you talk about in terms of what's coming in the app or um, you know, maybe some things that we didn't know about, you know, lesser known things that we should look for when next time we use WhatsApp? Um, I'll, I'll tell you one little secret thing that's in there right now. Um, oh, nice. We love secrets. <laughs> if you, you have an iOS um, device and you're using WhatsApp on there, um, one of the things you can do is like uh, we have a product called Status, which is a way to sort of just post something to all of the people who are in your contacts. So it's um, it's like a stories style feature. Mm-hmm. And yes, I see if, it. You, if you go in there and you're like go in the camera and you import a photo and maybe it's like cropped to three by four or four by three, but you actually want it to fill the full uh, view, sixteen by, or nine by sixteen of your phone, you can just force or uh, 3d touch the crop icon in and it'll like instantly crop to the size of your um, screen, which is like just a a faster way to essentially crop something. But it's one of those things that it's like a lot of people want to crop to that size when they're posting to their status because it just feels like it looks better in a lot of ways. So um, this was like a tiny little way that people could do that quicker, but it's like super hidden. Like, (laughs) um, we put it in the, uh, release notes, but hopefully things like that, um, spread over time and people see like, Oh, there's a quick little way to do that. Um, yeah. So those kind of things are interesting. Those little Easter eggs, um, the discoverable feature, right. Um, you know, we used to do that quite a bit when I was in the software business is we'd build little things in that someone can discover. And when they find it, they kind of feel like they've, um, uh, discovered something about the app, but that's unique to them because it wasn't super obvious and that kind of endears them to the app a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about Snapchat sometimes and I think about how when they were, I mean, they still are, but they roll out features kind of one by one. And when they roll out those features, sometimes they're like not obvious. Um, and, but there's something kind of fun to learning them. And then like you can share them with other people. I don't think WhatsApp is like anything like Snapchat, but I do think that people do like to share those little features when they find them with their friends and they're not going to be like obvious always they won't get in the way of the right experience for the majority of people but some people who do find value in them might pass them around and like they'll be found over time and i like that (laughs) yeah yeah it's a nice little uh nice little bonus cool um well i you know i want to be respectful of your time and and i super appreciate you coming on the show and talking a little bit about whatsapp and and some facebook stuff today Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you and learn a little bit more about what you're working on or maybe ask you some questions about stuff or just kind of connect and chat in general what's the best way to get in touch with you sure i'm on twitter it's uh charlie deets that's my uh at name
I also have a website, which is charliedeets.com, and I have like a little contact form on there, which you can always write me longer messages on. All right, cool. Well, we'll uh, link that stuff up in the show notes, and um, I look forward to getting you back on the show at some point in the future and maybe talk a little bit more detail about some of the stuff you're doing at WhatsApp and, and just going to talk about the design process in general. Sweet. It was great to talk to you. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thanks. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to Design Driven. We're glad you enjoy the show. Have comments, questions, or an idea that you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us on the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email. And tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.